welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. My name is Chris Turner. I am your host. Good morning, good evening, good afternoon. Whenever this reaches you, I hope it reaches you well. Uh, everybody staying safe, staying not sick out there, I hope. Um, we are now officially in Denver, Colorado under a stay-at-home order. Uh, so for those listeners out there that uh, are living in a, in a similar state, I think California has one out right now as well. I'm not sure if Washington does, but uh, it's it's kind of weird, <laughs> you know, Um Initially, initially, I expected, you know, yesterday was when it went to, into effect, which just so happened to be my birthday as well. So <laughs> it was a goofy birthday for me, um, that's for sure. But I went out to kind of get some food for lunch and uh, I was expecting it to just be empty on the streets. And I was surprised there was more people out yesterday than there has been like the whole week, it seemed like. And so I don't know if there's something about this stay at home order that people are kind of taking it almost like a vacation. And, you know, when they try to think of things to do, it's like, there's always, it's always something outside of their apartment. It's never something inside or cleaning the house or something, or maybe everybody's already bored of cleaning like I am, but, um, kind of weird. It's kind of the opposite effect. I think that most of the governor was expecting to have people actually listen. <laughs> right. But, um, kind of weird. And like I said, it was my birthday yesterday turn uh, 29 big ones yesterday. So my last year of my 20s, I'm going to try to make it a good one. Uh, live it to the fullest. You know, if you have any suggestions on what to do for uh, my last year of my 20s, please answer in the comments. Leave me a, a comment or suggestion. Uh, I'll, I'll heed that advice if it's something, <laughs> if it's good advice. You know what I mean? Um, but yeah, uh, you know, today I kind of want to I don't have a specific topic I want to focus on. I kind of want to more talk about um, what I've been noticing in the, in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I know the last three episodes have kind of focused on the coronavirus and the things going on, but uh, it's kind of hard to avoid. You know what I mean? It's it's such a big, like, momentous occasion, you know, something that you can feel it doesn't happen very often. Probably a once-in-a-lifetime event, and so it's hard to kind of talk about anything else right now. But I'll try to fit it into, into kind of our normal um, subject matter, you know what I mean? The ego... Uh, and kind of more philosophical perspective, spiritual perspective, trying to bring that into into context with what's going on. So uh, one thing that I've been noticing, one thing I kind of want to talk about here at the start is, so there's this there's a there's thing this thing going on, similar to kind of what I noticed right after 9/11. I was young when 9/11 happened. I think I was 10 or 11. What would I what would I have been then? I was born in 91 and nine, yeah, 10. So I was 10 years old, and. I do remember, and I remember my parents commenting on it more so because as a kid, you don't really have the ability to pick up on these subtle social cues, but I remember them saying, you know, how much more friendly people were. I did remember seeing all the flags everywhere, the patriotism that came through right after 9-11. You saw this, like, booming of patriotism in the United States. Um, A weird thing is just banding together. And uh, what I'm seeing happen right now is something kind of similar except, uh, you know, minus the patriotism. Um, it's, it's, but it's a similar effect where people are, are kind of interested in each other in a way they haven't been before. And I think it's, you know, I, I, I kind of want to analyze that in this episode. Uh, why are people paying more attention to each other right now? And the first thing that pops in my mind when I ask myself that question is, well, they're not distracted anymore, you know? And, and I think that's the big, biggest part of it. Um, we've talked about the rat race. We've talked about this you know, this uh, cycle you can get into in your professional life that can keep you kind of constantly running, kind of constantly looking for the next step, the next level, the next promotion, the next pay raise, whatever it is, right? And it's kind of 
built into us. You know, it, it, from the time you enter grade school, from the time you enter preschool, really, this idea of what's the next step is imprinted into you. And it's hard to get that out of you. It's, it's kind of the fuel behind the rat race, I think, is this, this need for what's next. And that's, I think, installed in people on purpose uh, when they are in school. What I think is happening right now is the system itself kind of, since we had to shut down the system of the United States, basically, right? The economy itself, we had to kind of shut down, at least in, in the states, you know, select states for now. Um, what happens when people have to stop running <laughs> is the things we've been talking about, the things you're naturally attracted to, the things that you're naturally interested in are the only things to do. You know what I mean? Um, I keep on saying there's this distilling effect, but I think there is this massive distilling effect that's going on right now. It's like, okay, everybody's been running, 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 running for the last hundred years or so. You know, I arguably the last hundred years, probably more, more so like since the 1980s, right? This, this kind of the, the modern rat race, I think with the, the conception of the modern rat race was kind of born in the 1980s. Um, but it was formulated earlier in, in the Industrial Revolution and things like that, I think. What's happened is, 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 is we've gotten to a place where as long as that system is running, as long as you have a job to go to and a ladder to climb, uh, you're fine with it. At, at least you're content and you'll just continue to consume and produce, which is the whole idea behind it is, is you know, we need people to run this economy. You are the thing that makes this economy run and you need to produce and you also need to consume and so the idea behind, you know, keeping people looking for the next step is keeping people consuming and producing. You don't want people to stop that or pull back or start to do something kind of maybe that isn't the most productive or efficient because uh, like art or something like that, right? Because then the, the economy starts to slow down, starts to break down. The system, the machine of it starts to break down, right? You are the cog in this machine, you know, and, and what's happening right now is the system had to stop from, from an outside threat, you know what I mean? Which is so unique. You know, the only other kind of outside threat you could have besides a virus is an alien force. And in some ways, like the virus itself is an alien force, you know, uh, in relation to the human being. But it's this outside threat that has forced the stoppage of our economy, the stoppage, the stopping of this machine that I think is opening people's eyes to kind of what I've been pointing out. I was trying to point out earlier. And if it hasn't yet, kind of look around you and see, see, see what people are doing. That's what I think is the most interesting. Watch people. Because they're not listening. That's the first thing. They're not listening to the suggestions. Right? So they, they also kind of, that kind of, I think, <clears throat> in some ways demonstrates the, the idea behind our country that it's very hard to control people without force. People don't like to be controlled. They don't like to be told what to do, even if it's in their best interest. And so what most leaders have learned throughout history is the best way to control people is one, either to scare the shit out of them or two, to forcefully control them, right? You know, to be despotic or tyrannical in some way. Now, the, I think what we're, we're noticing how controllable or how hard it is to control people right now. And in the last episode, I actually kind of, I think, argued for the opposite point, if I remember right. Um or maybe two episodes ago, that people are kind of ripe for the picking. You know, I remember saying that. Um, and in some ways they are, because we are, you know, I, I do think that we are in some ways still distracted, but what I'm hoping is happening right now, and I just noticed this the last couple of days, is maybe that malaise, that that glaze is falling from our eyes, and the scales are falling, and, and, and we're starting to see the real world. 
with this machine without this machine running what it looks like because it's been so long since the machine stopped or since you've had a chance to take a breath as a human being that you you forgot what life is really like when you don't have to be constantly looking for something what's next what's next what's what's next and what you find is people go out and do the things that you used to see people doing the one thing that i see more people doing that i've seen in my entire life is is people sitting on porches and what did you you remember think back 60 years ago what was the thing that you'd see old people do not even old people but think about mayberry you know what i mean that's what you do you'd go and enjoy the neighbor the neighborhood the neighbors the people around you the environment itself the day there's something about just taking in the in, taking in everything i see more people doing that right now i see more people taking walks you know, I see more people, as funny as it sounds, being friendlier, which is, which is, honestly, the only time it's probably not good to be friendlier is when people are doing it. <laughs> like, we are so, we so avoid control that we do things that even endanger ourselves when, when there's a proposition of being controlled. You know what I mean? <clears throat> I see people everywhere, you know, like, kind of, I don't, I don't know, just like, they're not... I, I guess I don't know how I feel about this <laughs> because I, I know that there's obviously a virus going on out there and I know that there's, you know, it's not smart for people to be out and, 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 and coming in contact with each other. But at the same time, I see this extremely positive force happening because people uh, have the time and the machine has stopped where they're actually engaging and becoming real human beings again instead of machines. You know what I mean? Like they're actually open. Their eyes seem to be opening a little bit to what they're actually naturally attracted to. Like yourself, you know, I've talked about the things that pull you towards them are the things you should be doing. So if you are one of the people that have been staying at home for the last two weeks, I, you know, what have you been doing? Or what have you not been doing actually? Because there, there may be, it, it could be either a question. Maybe you've done so much cleaning and whatever it is that you're just out of ideas. <clears throat> Maybe you haven't done anything, you've been lazy and procrastinating, and you have a whole list of things you need to do, but you just haven't started it yet. Whatever it is, um, pay attention to what you do and what you don't do, right? Pay attention to what you want to do after you have everything done. You know, that's one thing that I ran into. He's like, I've done every chore that I could think of, uh, like twice, you know what I mean? And so now I'm sitting here like, okay, what do I want to do? You know, and that's when the real, your real desires come through, what you're really interested in, what you really love, what you resonate with, you know what I mean? That's when you'll notice it the most because there's no nothing else to distract you. You don't have your work to worry about. You don't have any chores to worry about. You don't have to clean things up. You don't have to, so what do you want to do? Man, I can't think of a better time. To, I don't think you. there's ever been an opportunity in human existence for people to press pause like this and actually figure out what they want to do. And I hope we seize this, you know what I mean? Because I do see this positive force out there with people. Whereas like my last two episodes on this coronavirus has been fairly negative, I think. I, I see this positive force happening. When, as soon as this machinery stops, the, the natural human being starts to come alive again. And that's a beautiful thing, man. So I hope that we all continue to do that. You know, I hope we all continue to, to cultivate this, even if the machine does turn back on, flip back on, and, and, and it all starts pumping here in two months, you know? Um, I hope we don't reset back to the same kind of... <sighs> Same old, same old, you know? Now, thinking about that future, <clears throat> you know, this coronavirus thing, this thing could be a lot worse than we're thinking or it could be kind of nothing. You know, it could be a couple months and everything's done and then, you know, it was it was bad, but not as bad as we thought it was going to be kind of a thing. Or it could be really bad. You know what I mean? <clears throat> 
And I'm not necessarily talking about in terms of, of death toll. You know what I mean? Of course, it's a huge you know, problem. We don't want people to die from a virus, but it's more of the second, you know, second level effects. I, that's not the right way to describe it, but you know what I'm talking about. It, it's it's the it's the reverberating effects um, that are really going to hit us hardest. I think um, economically, especially. What I'm worried about is I don't know if there's a quick way to turn, flip that switch back on, turn the machine back on. You know what I mean? Um, I'm also worried that what might happen, and I know I'm going, now I'm going a little bit more pessimistic, but what I am worried is that a lot of companies may be eliminated in this small business itself. And so we already had a problem of power consolidation in terms of economic via you know in terms of the economy you have big corporations like walmart you know amazon pushing out the small guys i have i have a feeling that when this thing does end and the economy does flip back on that you're gonna have like three choices you know what i mean that we may we this may have eliminated a lot of our small business and i know that there's stimulus coming through i know they just pushed that that stimulus package through but I don't know if if a lot of these companies have the ability to survive even if they do get a stimulus check. You know what I mean? They needed that constant inflow of of, of cash. They a lot of a lot of businesses, I just like people aren't sitting on a huge bucket of cash that they can fall back on to pay their employees or whatever. And so, you know, a matter of weeks, you can bankrupt most of these small businesses. And I think that that might be happening right now. It's something that we're not really talking about as much, but I think we're going to hear about a little bit more down the road, about two or three months down the road. Now, we may lose a lot of our small business, which is really unfortunate because it's partially what's what <clears throat> it keeps the competitive edge, the competitive drive alive in a, in a capitalist system and capitalist economy. And so I hope I hope that doesn't happen. But I do think that that's something we need to think about moving forward is what do we do for our small business or for you as the individual while you're at home or while you're ordering, you know, for food, you know, if you don't, if you've been ordering a lot of food, you know, I would recommend, or at least I'm going to try to do this. I, I hope other people try to do this. Try to order from, from not chains. You know what I mean? Try to go to small places, the mom and pop shops, hole in the walls and stuff like that. Get your food from there because those places need the money or they're going to go away. You know what I mean? And I don't think we, 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 we need to be careful about losing that kind of losing our small business backbone in America because it is kind of the lifeblood of this system. It's the lifeblood of the American dream, if nothing else. And that's one thing we can't lose is kind of this 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 American idea that you can come here, create something of value and, and excel and, and be rewarded for it. We need to maintain that or else we will cease to be the shining chapel on the hill as Reagan described it. You know, it's... it's um, which I do believe we are for the world, you know. Uh, but this situation, this coronavirus situation, depending on how we respond and moving forward, could uh, be kind of, could unseat us from that role. You know what I mean? As that shining chapel, as that 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 place that people want to be, because we respond better in crisis and we have more resources and those kind of things, right? At least the opportunity to grow as a person, uh, to make a life for yourself. You get the idea. So, you know, I, I think that there's, there's some, some positives and some negatives that's going to come out of this thing. And I hope that what we do as human beings is kind of revert back to some of, some of our more natural tendencies, I think, to the positive tribal tendencies. We do need to be around each other. You know, that's partially why people aren't listening. You know, you can tell people to isolate themselves, but it's the quickest way to drive people crazy is to keep them alone. You know what I mean? And so that may work for two or three days, but it's not going to work for three months. 
You know what I mean? Like people are gonna go out and they're gonna engage with each other and they're gonna or they're or they're gonna lose their mind all at once. You know what I mean? And so it's one of the things I, I find funny. And this is I'll get more into the politics side of this. Um, you know, I understand that a lot of politicians, I wouldn't want to be a pos- in a position of leadership right now because I think it's a very tough time to be. You know what I mean? It's, there's no right answers, you know, and I know that, and I'm not trying to be overly critical of any leadership, uh, people in leadership positions right now because I think it's very tough to deal with these kind of situations. It's something we've never dealt with, in a modern sense at least. But I do think that there's this... <clears throat> One thing that's being demonstrated here is that we don't have as much control as we think we do, especially politically. The the political powers that be don't have as much of an effect on your daily life as you think they do. Um, You know, we're going to, they passed this stimulus relief bill uh, that's supposed to kind of give most people in the United States, I think, a check, you know, an actual check. And that is going to directly impact people substantially. But I think the... uh, short of, of, of getting money, getting paid money from the government, what people, people are, uh, what I'm trying to get at is I think political leadership is, is being, thinks that they have more power than they do to affect things. Right. And I think it's being demonstrated in the response to kind of the call for people to stay indoors and stuff. You know, it's, you, you saw the exact opposite happen when once once mayors and and politicians get up there on the stage and say every, nobody panic everybody panics you know what i mean or say everybody go home everybody goes out you know what i mean it's like you it's almost like the best way to deal with these things would have been to do nothing at all you know what i mean that's the thing part that i'm starting to come to is i i i really do wonder and i'm curious to watch this unfold if our response helped or hurt things you know what I mean? And I, I, I am curious because I think there's going to be a variation in response depending on the, you know, the state and the political leaning of the state uh, throughout, the, throughout the United States. And I, as we get closer to the election, it's going to be interesting to see how this unfolds. You know, how different states responded and how their death toll was affected by the way they responded and whether actually locking the state down was helpful or hurtful. You know what I mean? Whether those political you know, powers that be actually have power to affect things uh, in the way they mean to or whether they do more harm than good. I have a sneaking suspicion that most of the time, most of the time that we're trying to help the world, we're hurting it. Not because we have the intention to, but because we're too audacious about our, our, our ability to affect things. Um, we do have, I think, the ability to uh, make the world a more ordered or make more chaotic place. But short of that, I don't think we have much power to control things. That's just my belief. Um, I think that a lot of our control is an illusion. I've described this before. It's it's a pro, it, it's it's partially born out of the ego, I think. We have this idea we think we can control things. We think if we squeeze tighter, we're going to somehow save lives, you know, this and I don't think that's true. And I've kind of explained my views on things, you know, as much as I can at least to this point. But I think that there's something I don't know if you're the one driving the freaking car, man. You know what I mean? I think that we might be all part of the same thing and this illusion that me as an individual has an ability to change the world is it just that is an illusion and and that a lot of times when we go out into the world trying to create a better one individually we end up wreaking havoc on it uh and i'm hoping that that does i'm not proved right right now you know what i mean that that you know, these people out here saying they're trying to help things, squeezing really hard, are actually going to create a lot more pain and suffering. 
Um, it may have already happened, for instance, with the economy shutting down, right? Like, I'm one of those people that lost two jobs as soon as they flipped that switch. And there's a lot of other people out there like me. If you're one of those, I'm sorry for it. I know it's hard, you know? That's a real big negative impact on a lot of people's lives. A lot of people, you know, that were paycheck to paycheck don't have an ability to survive, you know? I've, I know they're going to do things for people, stimulus check, and keep, you know, you know, maybe delay rent payments or something like that. But it's a big problem, you know, shutting that economy down. We're never going to know how many lives people would have died if you wouldn't have done that, right? We're just going to know what happens after the fact. But I do wonder, and I think it's good to ask that question, what if we didn't, what, what if we treated this the same way that we treated SARS or treated it the same way that we treated H1N1, which are very infectious and deadly diseases? I don't, I'm not a scientist or an infectious disease, disease specialist, so I don't know um, how this virus relates to the ones I just named. But I, I do know that they were very serious diseases, and I do know the response the, has been completely disproportional relative to those other diseases. And there's something weird about that to me, unless this disease is, is extremely, is, is substantially more deadly uh, or more transmissible than those other ones, um, which is most likely the case. Uh, but if unless that's the case, then why did we respond the way we did? You know, that question's probably never going to be answered, but I think it's good for us you know, as citizens and, you know, global citizens too, if you're listening to this outside the United States, you know, whatever country you're in to kind of think about that, you know, like how much did we help and how much did we hurt? And how much, how much, you know, in a lot of, a lot of ways, our attempt to eliminate death, eliminate suffering, uh, I think creates more of it. I really do think this is true because every example I can find throughout history where people try, the, the times throughout history where the most people were killed or died, almost always, not always, almost always is, a, is related to somebody trying to make the world the perfect place. Incredibly depressing to figure that out. That the worst atrocities in human history were, were, were done in the name of making a better world. <laughs> That's disturbing, right? Again, the illusion that we're controlling this thing or that we have the ability to glean what a better world would be actually creates a worst world. A worse world. I think it's an example of the ego problem I've been talking about. It's the ego problem at a base, distilled all the way down. We think we're in control. It's not even we think we need, we're in control. We are so scared that we're not in control that we're going to make sure we are. And so we squeeze. And squeeze and squeeze and squeeze. And in the process, I think, create a lot of harm, a lot of suffering, a lot of death itself. And I'm wondering if we're doing that right now. I have a sneaking suspicion we are. At the same time, I don't have anything to back that up. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, I do think it's good things to think about, right? I've already seen, I think it was uh, the mayor of New York, Cuomo, is Andrew Cuomo, Cuomo, I think is his name. Uh, I just read an article today, him saying something similar to this, where he's now second-guessing whether he should have uh, shut down or... or, or uh, essentially, you know, made the order for people to stay at home because it had the opposite effect, like we're saying, you know, 
Now, hindsight is 2020, and I'm not trying to criticize the man. I think, like I said, I think everybody's doing the best they can. At the same time, I think our ego problem is being spotlighted right now, you know, and and it's going to really, I think it'll be telling, like I said, how this develops. If we recover quickly from this, then maybe I'm wrong. You know what I mean? Maybe I'm completely wrong, and maybe we do have more of a control over this car than we thought we do. And maybe our, our effect can be net positive that way, you know, if we, we all sit here and, and, in a sense, hit the panic button strategically. I don't think that's the case, though. I think, and this is just a thought experiment, I've talked about this before, but the best way you could stop all this stuff is for everybody on Earth to stop trying to, to stop it. Stop trying. Stop stop trying to fix things. You know what I mean? Because you don't know how to fix things. Nobody does. <laughs> you know what I mean? Maybe some expert thinks that they know how to fix this virus or that virus or this one, but there's going to be another one and another one and another one. It's a product. It's the chaos within the system itself. The universe is a system. It's chaotic by nature. You try to eliminate the chaos, it produces more. It's the idea behind the balance, the yin and the yang. It's all of this. A lot of religions have talked about this too. The balance, you know. We are screwing with the balance when we try to stop death itself. Because we view death as a bad thing, but it's not. Again, death is the same, I think, at least. Death is the same thing as birth. Two sides of the same door. Two sides of the same coin. Our running away from death is exactly what pushes more people through that door. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because we think that we can stop this. And we think this is all there is. It's part of that secular worldview. This is all there is. You want to stay here forever. You know what I mean? And death is the ultimate evil thing. So you try to eliminate it. By trying to eliminate it, you create it. I think the best example of that process in action is the Soviet experiment itself. The failure of the Soviet experiment, you know, lasted, what, 80 years? 19, was it 1918, I think? Something like that, all, yeah, 80 years, almost 70 years. Uh, you know, if you read the Communist Manifesto by Karl Marx, and then you read writings from a lot of the uh, political dissidents before the Soviet Revolution, their ideas for what they were gonna institute, the ideas behind Marxism and communism itself are very attractive. They're very attractive ideas. As this premise that you can fix things, you can make the perfect world, the utopia. Right? That's the idea behind it. It's also how the, the most people in recorded modern history died. Hundreds of millions of people. Right? Like, that's... It, and I don't know the exact numbers. I can look them up. But it's there's a lot of speculation on how many people have actually actually died in Soviet Russia due to famine, due to murder, you know, political, you know... Uh, uh, what is it called? Assassinations, things like that. But it, there's a... there's you, you, there's doc, It's documented, well documented. You can read first-hand accounts of what it was like to live in these kind of systems. And it's all in the name of a better world. That is what is the scariest thing. Same thing with Hitler. You may not want to engage with things like Mein Kampf or the ideas behind what he did. But what he was trying to do at a level, he was misled, misguided. He was trying to institute the perfect world, just like 
uh, Marx was trying to do in writing the Communist Manifesto. That's what those ideas were about. Just different methods of doing it, of instituting it. That's all it is. Just different. Uh, Hitler's idea was that you can eliminate a group of people and institute paradise or utopia. Whereas Marx's idea was you can eliminate class itself, you know, and, and institute a utopia. The bourgeoisie, you know, this controlling class. It's... And you see this idea popping up in modern day United, you know, in, in the modern world. This idea, this this pushback against the modern bourgeoisie, you know, the modern billionaire and millionaire, the people that control, you know, pull the pull the strings of the economy itself. This is why I think there's a resurgence of communist ideas and socialism itself, because you see a similar there's a there's a similar grouping of people that we can label as a bourgeois group. And so it fits very well in the narrative of the communist, you know, the, the communist narrative. But we could just as readily be in a, a world where the Nazi narrative is revitalized. It's just more obviously evil on, on the surface. The Nazi narrative was more obviously evil because it was more obviously racist. <laughs> and, and the thing that's attractive about... Uh, about communism is it doesn't use race to group people. It uses work. How much can you produce? Your value as a thing within this economy is how much you can give back to it, which is an attractive idea. It's also completely and utterly inhuman. And one of the quickest ways to make hell on earth. <laughs> you know... And so how does that fit into what we talked about today? Well, people left to their own devices mingle. People, when they're told to stop, don't. Even when it's a life or death situation, we need to be around other people. We need each other. The only thing we really truly need is each other. So why in the world are we fighting over all this bullshit? You know, you saw the 2016 election that went by. I think that was not just crazy for people in the United States, it was crazy for people everywhere, right? The hatred that came out of that election, you know what I mean? This illusion that we're all enemies. You couldn't trust your neighbor. This has been, this, like, this, this uneasiness has been permeated the United States for the last four years. I am tired of it. I, I hope you are too. Maybe this can be the thing that cuts through that. I hope it is already starting to. It shows you that you need those people and they're not that much different than you. You take away all the other bullshit, the machine stops, and you know, you get bored of listening to the TV you go outside, you realize these people are exactly the same as you because they're doing the same thing. They're going outside and walking their dog and sitting on their porch and looking for people to talk to. That's a beautiful thing, man. It's showing you what you are deep down. That is what you are. You're a social thing. You're a thing that needs other people. You're a part of them as just as much as they are a part of you. And the quickest way to figure that out is try to keep people apart. <laughs> you know what I mean? You realize just how much we need, how bad we need each other. 
And so, yes, the the response that we had, you know, that a lot of politicians had to restrict people and tell them to stay home, don't be scared. Yes, I do think that was the wrong, <laughs> that was the wrong thing to tell people because we were never going to listen to that, ever. And... But at the same time, I don't mean that as a criticism or as attack of the, on those people as well. I think that people are doing the best they can. I think a lot of people have been asleep for a long time as well. Under illusion, a lot of politicians are under this illusion too. They don't realize that what they're playing is a game, that they're part of that machine, and that people aren't very controllable. <laughs> you know what I mean? They're controllable if you trick them, like we've been doing on social media. You feed them bullshit information, you know what I mean? And they act on that information. Yeah, you can trick them that way pretty easily. But once that falls away, like it, like that, that facade is, is so obviously that as soon as the machine stops, you know what I mean? It's, you can't maintain it. You have to continue to feed people the bullshit or they don't, or as, like I said, the blindfold falls off. The bullshit is what keeps the blindfold on, keeps the head buried in the sand, as soon as that machine stops, it's so obvious, <laughs> you know? And so for listeners out there, you know, that tune in here every couple of days and listen to me rant, I hope that you are getting something out of this time like I am. Uh, I hope you're watching what's going on and analyzing it from a more philosophical, maybe a more spiritual perspective, like the, you know, the perspectives I've tried to lay out here. And I hope that we can all recognize what positives can come out of a situation like the coronavirus and help, uh, and recognize that path so we can go down it. You know what I mean? Recognize what we are. Maybe connect a little bit more deeply with each other and, and what is what is happening at a, at a basic level here. And truly make the world a better place by <laughs> recognizing that thing. By not doing anything else but recognizing that. We will instantly make the world a better place. Uh, and with that, I'm getting pretty close to time here, guys. I'm at about 34 minutes. Um... I'm anxious to listen back to this. You know, I, I, I've told you this before. I don't listen to these before I post them. And so I, once every once in a while, there can be some things I get back and I'm like, oh, well, maybe I was a little too aggressive with that or or maybe that didn't make sense and out of context. You know, that's like the the vegan and vegetarian rant a couple episodes ago. Like I listened back to this like, yeah, a little too much aggression there, Chris. Maybe you should apologize to people on that one, you know? So it's it's one of those processes that's weird because, you know, I may make mistakes or something, but it's also, it's it's going to be out there either way. And I always look forward to listening back to, to seeing, you know, how many times I get that feeling. Oh, crap, I made a mistake there. The interesting thing in that process, and I don't know if anybody else has done a similar kind of process, but what you'll find is it doesn't happen that often. When you take off the filter and the restriction and you trust yourself and trust what you're going to say, you don't feel like you're saying the wrong thing very often. Or maybe you do. But, the, but you can get to a point where you don't feel like you're saying something that's untrue very often. And once, once you're in that place, like, I think it becomes easier to figure out how to identify value and how to describe it, how to, how to describe a path forward and, and describe what makes you unique, what you want, all that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? So anyway, I will leave you with that. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please stay safe out there. Uh, please listen to the politicians just because I was, you know, kind of criticizing here. And and, uh, and I'm sure that me by me saying this is probably going to do nothing or maybe have the opposite effect. But listen, people, there, there's a reason that, that we are, you know, under lockdown. Uh, whether it's going to be effective or not, um, try, try to listen. <laughs> you know? 
try to listen, please. And with that, that is the Unfounded Podcast signing off. Stay safe. Talk to you soon. Bye.